So, it's good to be back. Um, I was here uh, last week, but uh, uh, Abel was preaching because I had just gotten back from Kentucky at the uh, Answers for Pastors conference at the Ark Encounter. Um, if you can't tell, that's me. And I'm about, uh, I don't know, for those of you who have been there, what am I, about 300 yards away from the, from the boat, um, somewhere around that. Um, if you look up in that corner, that little door, that little tiny door at the other side, on the inside of the ark, you can actually stand there. I come about a quarter of the way up that door. I know that's not a surprise to anybody, right? So it's a normal size door, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Must be convenient to have only dog doors in your house. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's just hard to have company come over. Um, so I was privileged this year to be able to go to the conference. Um, this is my third year going down. Um, it's always been a fantastic time. That's why I left so quickly um, uh, two Sundays ago afterwards because I had to drive to Kentucky. It's about an 11-hour drive. Um, uh, d- depending on who's driving, some people are like, "Can you make it nine? <laughs> like, don't do that. Um, the, <laughs> yeah, I, I tried. Any, anyway, um, no, it's a, it was a lot of fun. So being down there, you're, in the, you're uh, at the Ark Encounter, and there's also the Creation Museum there. These are both uh, put on, uh, built and run by Answers in Genesis Ministries, and each year they do a conference for pastors and leaders. It's, it was always called the Answers for Pastors. Now it's the uh, annual Pastors and Leaders Conference, uh, because they want to know that it's not just for pastors. Um, and I know a number of our ladies have been to the uh, women's conferences in the spring. Um, just so that you know, this year... <clears throat> they did the, their women's conferences are the most popular ones. They sell out, and they typically sell out in about a month. Um, this last, this one coming up in April, it also sold out in a month. So what they did is they put a second conference, ladies, if you're interested. It's actually before the originally scheduled one, but it's all the same speakers, all the same content. Everything there is is good. So if you're interested in doing that, they do have another one available, um, and they do a tremendous job with it. Um, we also have a video series in the back that is one of the women's conferences that you can, uh, can check out if you'd like as well. Um, so, but it's three days of incredible speakers. Um, of course, in, you know, you're there uh, at the Ark and you got, you're, you're allowed to go through, uh, uh, through the Ark and the Creation Museum for the week. It's just really fun. Um, I planned the trip out very strategically this year because I'm familiar enough with the area. So my hotel was a quarter of a mile away from my favorite barbecue restaurant, um, and it was also a quarter of a mile away from World of Golf, uh, which was so nice, so nice. It was a lot of fun. Um, uh, Abel didn't care for it because I kept sending him pictures, <laughs> you know, of, of barbecue and, 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 and golf stuff. He was just like, you know what, I hate your guts. You know, it's, like, it's great. I told him I loved him too. So... Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting being down there because you're surrounded. It's just a different atmosphere. If you've never gone to a, a development conference, especially one in regards to the church, the atmosphere is just different. It's kind of the same thing where if you, uh, when you come to, and, and this is not a complaint by any means, but when you come to church on a Sunday morning and worship is going on, there is an atmosphere that is there. But when you go to a worship event, it's just different. There's something about the attitude of the people who were there. There's, there's an expectation that's there. There's just a different spirit in the room, and you can feel it, and it's there the entire three days. And this year, we had uh, the president and vice president of uh, Living Waters Ministries. That's Ray Comfort's ministry. Um, and then we also had the, uh, uh, the, the president and the uh, choir director for the String Orchestra for Grace to You Ministries. So Phil Johnson was there. Uh, it was just a really, really good time. They also had two of the pastors who were uh, uh, locked up and thrown in jail in Canada during COVID. I can't, I can't remember their names off the top of my head. I apologize. Uh, but they were there kind of sharing their testimonies. And the title for this year was Contending for a Biblical Worldview. And I know we've been going through the Bible, but I wanted to stop and just kind of share a little bit of some things that, that kind of came to me while, while I was there, some things that I think that, that, that the Lord spoke to me um, while, I was, while I was listening, because the, the ministry that this is, the, the type of ministry that Answers in Genesis does, is actually a very difficult ministry. 
And I'm not talking about the creation side of things. Most people understand answers in Genesis from the, from, for the creation ministry or the attractions of the ark, but that's actually not the ministry that they, that they have. The ministry that they have is based around biblical authority. That's it. Everything about the ministry, the creation side, the teaching side, all of it is about biblical authority and biblical inerrancy. Everything focuses on that. Creation is an element of it, but it's far from just that, from, the, that, from the, uh, the totality of the ministry. And the difficulty of, um, uh, of doing something like that is not that the world is against you. How many of you already figured out that secular society doesn't like the Bible, doesn't like Christianity? They're already on the other side of the conversation. We know that. Not a surprise. The surprise is how much resistance the ministry gets from Christians and from modern-day churches. The pushback is unbelievable. The pastor's conference, from my understanding, has only ever been sold out once. I want you to think about that. Men are more than happy to send their wives away for a week to Kentucky. They'll pay for that. But sending a pastor to a conference to learn about biblical authority, the inerrancy of Scripture, standing up for the truth and the uncompromising Word of God is not? How? I don't understand how they don't have to have two pastors' conferences a year. Like, that doesn't compute with me. Now, maybe that's because I'm a little biased. I'm also into the creation ministry, and I have been associated with Answers in Genesis for a long time. I have a great time when I go down there. I run into the most amazing people. Every single time I go down, I run into some, to a speaker whose videos I've seen, and it's, and it's just awesome. I torture a few people every now and then, you know. Uh, every time I go down, Peggy's like, you're not taking a resume, right? And I was like, no. Um, this year when I got to the conference, I opened up the brochure for the conference, and it opened right up to, we're hiring. So I snapped a picture of it, sent it to Peggy, and said, look, it's a word from the Lord. And she's like, no, it's not. It's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. And if you're, if you're uh, outgoing at all, you can run into some amazing people down there. And they're from all over the world. But they're all there for the exact same reason, to be encouraged about the Word of God. Now, I've shared this before, but over the past few decades, the modern church has moved farther and farther away from Scripture being the center of our faith. We see this all over the modern-day American church. Probably the most prominent example of this right now in America is Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley's son, who has on multiple occasions, I actually have a video clip of him saying, the Bible is not the foundation of our faith. The authority of Scripture is not the foundation of our faith. That's what he says. He even, he even did a message where he said, we need, what did, he, what did he call it? Thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments because they're not about you. That's a statement he has. And that, the, and that for Christianity to survive, it needs to unhitch itself from the Old Testament. He's one of the top Christian leaders in the country. And I believe, I might have this wrong, but I think he either has the second or third largest church in the nation. That t- you see, exactly. An alarm just went off. <laughs> they should be going off. Someone's reaching into their pocket right now going, shut up. <laughs> I would love to answer that phone if they call back. I'm just saying. I just want to know why they're not in church with you. Just, cur- just curious. Um, so anyway, moving right along. Then you got people like Bill Johnson who talks about how it's not the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. You know, that we need to be willing to move beyond the book because Scripture is only the beginning Scripture's not, that, scripture's not that important. It's all about loving one another. Over and over again, the word of God is being pushed into the background of Christian life in favor of other sources of inspiration. And you've got to ask, what is, what is the reason behind this? 
And it shouldn't come as a a surprise to to, to any of us. If you actually read your Bible on a regular basis, we're actually promised that this is going to happen. And I think the most... uh, uh, the most currently applicable section of Scripture that shows us exactly what is going on is actually found in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. Most of us have seen this before. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead uh, at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Now listen to this carefully. For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because of, they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Fable is a story. It's make-believe. It's Disney. Okay? I don't know if you realize it, but Disney doesn't tell real stories. They tend to lie a lot. Okay? If you look at that passage... What is the sound doctrine that is not being endured? When you look at the passage, just look at the text, they will no longer endure sound doctrine. What is the sound doctrine that is no longer going to be endured? It is the Word of God. It is the Word of God which is the only sound doctrine that a Christian can apply themselves to. It is the only truth on which we stand. It is always the word of God. The word of God is sound doctrine. And we're encouraged to preach the word. But this is the interesting part. I've read this passage over and over and over again, and I'm not even sure if I like saw a video where someone mentioned this or, just, or I was just thinking about it one day. I honestly don't remember. But the, I, but the word endure kept coming to my mind. Endure, endure, endure. They will no longer endure. Who are they? Unbelievers? No. Believers. Unbelievers don't endure sound doctrine. They don't care. Right? It's believers who are no longer willing to endure. But what does it mean to endure? Endure just means to, like, have a good time, right? They're no longer willing to have a good time and listen to the joyful, unconvicting, constantly, you know, happy Christian message that never offends anybody, never puts a standard on anybody, loves all. That's not what endure means. How many have you, if you've had to endure something wonderful? If I have to eat one more perfectly cooked filet mignon, I don't even know what I'm going to do. If I have to somehow choke down another amazingly delicious strawberries and cream Danish from Crumbs, which I had Thursday, and it was amazing. (laughs) It was still warm. If I have to do that, I'll just gag if I have to have something that delicious again. We don't endure joyful things. We endure hard things. And the truth of the matter is the Word of God is hard. The word of God is difficult. The word of God is what sets us straight. It's one of the reasons why the path of a Christian is called the straight and narrow. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to be, you know, constantly under some sort of depression. I'm a Christian. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to heaven eventually when I die. That's not what we're talking about. But the Christian walk is difficult. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, no, it's not. You haven't even started. Because the longer you're in it, the more you realize this is actually tough. Walking the path of God has a difficulty to it. It must be endured. The word of God must be endured. Sound doctrine must be endured. And there, come, there will come a point, this is what Paul is telling Timothy, there will come a point where the church is no longer willing to do the difficult things. They're no longer willing to stand up and say no. They're no longer willing to say that there is an absolute morality, that there are absolute standards, that there are some things that have no gray area. It's simply black, white. True, untrue. Righteous, unrighteous. Good, 
as humans, we naturally want to follow the path of least resistance. No one just wants to spend their life in a fight. And if you do, you need counseling. We tend to try to find the easiest way to get through things, but that is not what Jesus tells us is going to happen in our lives. Jesus promises that we are going to walk up against difficult times. And one of the things that we're seeing in the world today, one of the things we're seeing play out in the church today is a dividing point that Jesus has warned us about over and over again. And the dividing point is here. There's a difference between religious faith and relational faith. Religious faith and relational faith. I've heard people say, I have religion. (laughs) So? Atheists have religion. Satan has religion. Religion is just a method. It is a process. It doesn't mean anything unless it has relationship before it. Religious faith puts the focus on you. I do good works so God will forgive me. Relational faith puts the focus on Christ. Jesus has forgiven me, therefore I will do good works. You see the difference? This is a unparalleled divide line in our society today. Today, we got massive amounts of the progressive church, the massive amounts of the liberal church, trying to push this idea of religious faith. That because I'm kind to people, because I help people, because I do good things, God is going to forgive me, even though I have this entirely secret part of my life that I don't tell anybody about. No, that's not what happens. Scripture illustrates this divide between people who think that doing things that are, that are godly are what make you godly versus people who know that it is Jesus who makes us godly and then we do godly things. Jesus talks about this himself in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. It says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have, you not prophesied, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I don't even know who you are. Get away from me, those who, you, who practice lawlessness. One group starts with what they think is right. They start with man's word. The other group starts with obedience to God's word. The group that starts with man's word, trying to do the right thing, hoping God will accept them, loses everything in the end. And the group that starts with obedience to God's word and then does the right things, gains everything in the end. And we cannot stress the difference between these two views. It makes no difference how much you do if you do it without knowing the one who is asking you to do it. We serve because we know. We don't serve to get to know. Jesus has done everything I need, therefore I will serve him till my dying day, as opposed to if I serve enough, maybe I will reach a place where Jesus will finally forgive me. That's the secular world versus the obedient side of things where we start with the understanding that I would never be able to do enough to be good in God's eyes. But that doesn't matter. God's not asking me to achieve a certain level. He's asking me to understand that I can't and to trust that he already has. That's the power of salvation. That is the grace that saves through faith. You think about this, how is it that two people can sit in the same church, hear the same preaching, read the same Bible, one endures, and the other refuses to endure? What is the difference between those two people? The difference between those two people is what we call a worldview. This is the foundation that we build everything that we have on. Christ is our foundation. Yeah, I get it. I understand what you're saying. Yes, he is, but how do you get there? How do you know Christ is your foundation? Just saying, Christ is my foundation, doesn't mean that it is. I can, I can, I can stand on the street corner and yell all day long, I'm a Twinkie, and I can believe in my heart. 
trying to come up with a word that sounds something like trans, just transfoodle or something like that. You know, I'm, 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 it doesn't work. I would love to live my life as a Twinkie. I already have the cream filling. Doesn't make me a Twinkie. You understand what I mean? We have to get it right. And our worldview is where we start. Now, there's no single reason why one person walks away and one person stays true. There are many, there are many reasons. We've got we to acknowledge that. But the biggest reason is worldview and worldview conflict. If you think about worldview, worldview is, an, uh, is like an unconscious map in your mind that will lead you to a predetermined destination based on where you start, okay? You will be forced to go down a certain path because of where you start and where you think you need to go. Your worldview is your starting point. It's the easiest way to explain it. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can also look at it like a pair of tinted glasses. If I were to take a yellow or red marker and color all the lenses on my glasses and then put them on, everything in the world is now affected by that color. You understand what I mean? Everything suddenly looks red or looks yellow or looks blue, whatever color it is. In the same way, your worldview, your starting point, will affect how you see the world around you. When it comes to answering questions of life, career, uh, uh, family, morality, ethics, where do you start? Where does your truth begin and end? Does it begin with man's word or does it begin with God's word? Man's word is sinking sand. God word, God's word is the solid rock. And you really only have two options. You're like, no, there's more than two options. No, there's not. You either have what God has declared to be true and you have everything else. And if we're listening, listening to man's word about what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, we know that that changes over the years, doesn't it? Something that was good 50 years ago is no longer good today. Something that was unethical 50 years, years ago is suddenly ethical today. Man's word changes. God's word never changes. In the secular worldview, when we start with man's word, our thinking, our standards, our morals, our ethics are based on whatever we want, whatever we want, and what society tolerates. See, it's not just what society was willing to tolerate. It's what we want in our broken, sinful state and what society will tolerate. That's where our boundary is. That's why you have subjective moral reasoning, subjective ethics, subjective standards. How many of you heard, to, heard uh, just on, on the news, different programs, different talk shows, we need to find our truth. That might be your truth, but I need to find my truth. Well, I got news for you. You may not want to agree that two plus two equals four. That might not be your truth. That's because you're an idiot. It's just the truth. You can deny it all you want. Great, have a wonderful life, but that doesn't make it suddenly subjective. There is what is real, and then there's what is ever in your mind. And whatever is in your mind, great, have fun with that, but then we got to come back to real. Secular standards change, and they change without notice sometimes. You think about this, without an absolute standard on which everything is based, then whatever society chooses as a standard will change from generation to generation, and eventually what was always viewed as immoral or unethical will suddenly become moral and ethical. We would, never we would never devolve that far. We would never go out. I mean, that's it. If, if, if we all know that this is completely immoral and unethical, there's no way that society is going to get to the point where it's just fully embraced and accepted and affirmed, okay? Um, five years ago, if you were to approach a medical doctor in almost any facility around the world and ask them the question, anyone know what the question is? What is a woman? Doctor, what is a woman? They would give you a pretty simple, very clear, 
medically, medically sound, scientifically accurate answer. A woman is an adult human female. See how simple that answer was. I don't know if you guys have realized this. Maybe some of you are confused. I am not a woman. I'm way too ugly. <laughs> I would make a horrible woman. Take that same question. Bring it to a doctor today. If you even get an answer, usually the first thing they're going to ask you is, is this being recorded? If they even give you an answer, it'll probably be behind closed doors because they don't want someone to hear it because they could lose their license for giving you a societally unacceptable definition even though it is both scientifically and genetically accurate. Doesn't matter. Why? Because what was true before, because society has decided it is no longer true today. It's not just morals and ethics. It's truth. Things that are objectively, immovably true are now in question because enough people have said that should be questioned. The thing that, one of the things that actually blows my mind over the last, I think it's about the last 10 or 15 years, is how far along the flat earth movement has gotten. They get millions of dollars in donations around the, from people around the world so that they can prove that the earth is flat. Because they don't believe the pictures that have been taken from space of the ball. There are still people today who don't think we landed on the moon. I got news for you. We're going back. Guess who just landed on the moon a little while ago? Landed a little spacecraft on the moon. India. No, we didn't. Why? Because suddenly truth is now in question. That is how far we have fallen as an, as an intellectual society. We are touted today as the smartest generations that have ever existed on earth. And I have serious questions about that. There are kids graduating from school today that can't read cursive. That don't know how to tell time on an analog clock. But we are so smart. So, so smart. Right, theory? It is the trap of the secular worldview that nothing about truth and morality is, is, unchangeable, if enough, is unchangeable if enough people say, to, say it is. That's the trap. That if enough people agree, then it's no longer true. I don't care how many people tell, are going to tell you that the sky is red, the sky is blue. It's always been blue, it'll always be blue. Doesn't matter how many times. Doesn't matter. Could you imagine someone trying to change the color spectrum and not realizing they're colorblind? That looks green to me. And therefore, society says, in order to not offend, we now have to refer to the sky as green. We wouldn't even think about that. But that's the secular worldview. All things are changeable as long as it's societally acceptable. The biblical worldview, God's word, <coughs> excuse me, begins and ends with the teaching of scriptures. All of our thinking, all of our standards, all of our morals, all of our ethics start and end with the absolute inerrant authority of God's word. This is it. There is no truth but this, and if society brings a truth that is contradictory to what we see in here, society's wrong, period. That's the biblical worldview. People go, well, this, yeah, but it doesn't have the answers to everything. Well, no, this is not going to give you a detailed explanation on how to do, you know, 
brain surgery. There's some things we kind of need to figure out. Call me crazy. But on the things that the Bible does speak of, it speaks very clearly, doesn't it? If God's word says it's wrong, guess what? It's wrong when it was written. It's wrong now. It will be wrong in 100 years. If the Bible says that, it's, that this is right, this is good, this is godly, then it was godly then, it's godly now, it'll be godly in 100 years. But what if God's word has no clear stance on it? Then we do everything we can to stay consistent with what we know God says is right. See how easy that was? But that, that doesn't that sound simple, but there's this horrible requirement in order for us to say, if God's word says it's true, it's true. If it says it's a lie, it's a lie. If it says it's good, it's good. If it says it's bad, it's bad. And if it doesn't speak directly to it, well, that's a gray area. See, God never said anything about speed limits. So if my car will do 160, I'm blessed and highly favored. No, you're not. You just want to meet Jesus real fast. But you see, in order for us to understand the things that God doesn't speak directly to, it means we have to understand all of this in proper context and application to modern society. That means we have homework. Homework. Yes, you have reading to do. You have study, even as an adult. I remember once, I think I was in like seventh grade, and I was just, just irritated because I didn't want to go to school. <coughs> what seventh grader does, you know? We were living in Germany. I had other things I wanted to do. You know, friends were going camping. I wanted to go with them. My dad said, you know, I got to tell you, you want to know what my favorite part of school was? I was like, what? He goes, I don't have to go anymore. <laughs> that sounds like an answer a dad would give, right? But the truth of the matter is we're students till the day we die. We're students of the character and nature of God. We're students to the word of God. We never stop learning because we never know everything. But at the same time, you have a secular worldview, you have a biblical worldview, and obviously those are not going to clash. Secular society embraces varying opinions, so obviously they're going to embrace the biblical opinion, right? Right? <laughs> no. We're promised that it's not going to happen. We're promised that the world will hate us because of our worldview. Check this out. Luke 9, 23 and 26. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. And if you try to hang on to your, own, to, to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? Listen to this carefully. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when, it re when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. What does it mean to be ashamed of him and his message? That's the question. It means to be ashamed of this. It means to be ashamed of the word of God. To know what it says and refuse to do it. That is to be ashamed of the word of God. And Jesus says, if you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. So we have something to do. Well, how about this one? Matthew 10, 32, 36 says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge them before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring, to bring uh, peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a Twinkie. A rose, a flower, a kind word, a sword. I have, I have come to set a man, against, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's not very uncommon, but you understand what he's trying to say. Your enemies will be right in your own household. Can anyone tell me 
what the passage of the armor of God, how it refers to the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus came to bring a sword. Here it is. It's a little blunt. But this is the weapon with which we fight. It's the only weapon which with we fight. The truth of God saves, and praise God for that. Can I say that again? The truth of God saves, and praise God for that. But it also divides. And it does both at the same time. It divides because there will always be those among us who are threatened by the idea of absolute truth, absolute morality, and absolute ethical standards. The interesting part is the people who tend to be threatened by these things are also the ones who are calling and demanding for universal acceptance of all ideas, no matter how varied and different they are, as long as they don't have anything to do with the Bible. All views are accepted, except yours. <clears throat> this, more than anything, lets us know this isn't an issue about semantics. This is a worldview issue. Because Christians with a biblical worldview have a standard, and it's an immovable standard. As Christians... One of the things that we need to stop doing is avoiding confrontation. Now, I want to say this very carefully. That doesn't mean you get to get out the old gospel six guns, start gunning down anybody in your path. You're all a bunch of sinners. <laughs> that is not what Jesus is saying. Okay? We can't, we have to stop avoiding confrontations, but we also have to do the confrontation well. We have to stand up for the purposes of God, because when we stand up in public for God, he will stand up for us before the Father. If we stand up for his word, that means we're not ashamed of him, but when we back down and let the world run us over with their little dump truck of reasoning, then we show we are ashamed of the word of God. We stand on the truth, but we do it with love as much as we can. But we have to know what we believe and why we believe it. We have to know our worldview. We have to understand the things which we stand for and why we stand for them, and it wouldn't help if you knew where to go in the book to find it. Why do you believe that? Because my pastor said so. That's a bad excuse. Okay? Just, just to tell you, it doesn't make any difference who is standing here believing it because one of us say it Bad idea. Listen, learn, and go find it for yourself. That's what we do. Understanding a biblical worldview shows, shows us <clears throat> that there is only one path and one door. That door is Christ, and the path is the word of God. The secular worldview wants the right to have hard and fast standards that everyone else should be made to affirm, but that they can change at any moment without notice to accommodate the inconsistency of their own views. Let me give you two examples here. And I promise I'll end with these. So while I was at the conference, one of the things, like I said, that had been, that had been um, in my mind is I've been wanting to, to understand. One of the things that the guy said there was that, um, you know, uh, uh, if you think about ministry and sharing the gospel, and this is the short version, uh, like a song. You may have the right lyrics, but a bad melody, right? You get a song, you, you, what, how, why do you keep listening to a song? Because the melody's nice. Maybe it's a little funk, right? If you don't know what that looks like, watch Kathy when she's playing bass on a Sunday morning. She got the little stank face going on, she got her head, you know, she, 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 she's right into it. Right? You may have great lyrics and a bad melody. No one wants to listen to that song. You understand? You can have a great melody, bad lyrics. People will still listen to it. They're just not paying attention to the words. Both have to marry one another. Great lyrics, great melody. That's what we're looking for. That's what God's looking for. So I've been, I was thinking about this uh, throughout the time of the conference. So I was like, Lord, I need to... To, to, to develop. I need, I need a better understanding of this. And so you guys know that I do a lot of stuff online. 
But over the last five or six months, there really hasn't been a lot in, re- in, in regards of comments or people, you know, um, you know, hurling accusations towards me, which, you know, I got to admit, I, I kind of enjoy, but at the same time, not a lot of it has happened. Well, since I've been back, and I had, was stupid enough to ask God about it, I've had a lot to think about. And so several months ago, I commented on a couple of things. Uh, there was, at some point in time over the last week, an atheist page showed up on my, on my Facebook stream, which I thought was very interesting, and I enjoyed it very much. I was like, well, thank you, God. And on it, it had a quote from Christopher Hitchens that says, we need to, to uh, make up our own morals and our own ethics. I was like, that's really bad advice. And I said, as interesting as this might be, and this was, this was my comment to it, as interesting as this might be, making up our own morals and ethics allows those morals and ethics to be changed so much that those morals and ethics will inherently become immoral and unethical. And I, and I left it at that. Well, like, some time went by, and, and the guy who runs the page sent me a comment, and somebody else sent me a comment. Normally, I would use screenshots of those comments, but I can't. For literary reasons. Didn't matter how many asterisks they used. It was pretty clear what was being said. So... <clears throat> What they told me was, each person has the right to decide their truth. Sound familiar? Because all truth is subjective, and truth must change, and morals must change, and this is their words, not mine, to accommodate our new wisdom. Now, I admit, when I read that, I went, (laughs) yeah, because we're so smart. It's like, okay. So in my head, I like, I know where I want to go <laughs> because I'm obnoxious. And I know kind of like, we could start a really fun fight. And I was like, this is not a godly way to do this. So I decided to take a slightly different road. The cl- some of the other claims they made, um, uh, the other thing that they, they mentioned was that religion needed to die and that Christianity was immoral and could not be trusted. Like, okay, um, all right. Now, remember what the, where the post started, right? We're all allowed to choose our own morals and our own ethics. Uh, the other thing that this, this, this particular lady said was that according, uh, according, based on what they know about the Bible, God allowed children to die, and anyone who would allow children to die could never be moral. In fact, God should be put in prison for hurting children. Mm. I asked her if that was an absolute moral standard or a subjective moral standard, and that's why I can't show you any of the screenshots. And then I asked if Scripture was endorsing these events or simply recording them and then commenting on them differently later. She didn't like that. But what she said was, God is guilty, and that's the end of it. Anyone who who hurts children uh, uh, can never be moral, can never be ethical. So at that point, I decided to push my luck. And I asked the question. And she teed this up. I couldn't have asked for a more obvious example. Anyone who hurts children could never be moral, like her. So I asked a simple question. I said, are you equally upset at the 62 million unborn children killed by the abortion industry in the United States since 1970? Her response was very kind. Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> she basically told me to die in, in, and in, in various terms and using what I'm just choosing to believe was the wingding font. Um, it's just... Uh, because apparently, consistent moral application was just too far. You see, you want to hold God accountable for what men did without holding yourself accountable for what you support. Now, 
I was not trying to be mean, nor was I trying to just trap her in her illogical argument. Um, but honestly, her level of biblical ignorance made it very easy to have this conversation. She didn't understand anything she was talking about. She had probably read a few atheist quotes and thought she understood the Bible at that point. Those are usually the easiest people to make look stupid. And that's what we have to avoid. It is not our role to make people look stupid. It is our role to get them to question their beliefs and lead them to the word of God. 1 Peter 3.15, instead you must worship Christ as Lord in your life. And if someone asks you your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Not the level of your intellect, not trapping them in language that makes them look stupid in front of everyone else on that comment chain, but always be ready to explain it. The idea is to explain the hope that you have, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Because when we do come back against them, we're showing them our worldview and we're trying to point them to Christ. And if all we do is show them our arrogance, it does not point them to Christ. And we're guilty of the exact same thing that they're doing. Now, just to be clear, I'm still working on the kind part. Haven't, haven't really worked all that out just yet. Now, I might not have convinced her of anything. I may not have changed anything in her life, but I did put a rock in her shoe, and that was pretty obvious. And now the next time she tries to make a claim to a Christian that she doesn't actually understand, maybe, maybe she'll do a little bit more research, and maybe her doing that research will open up the door for the Holy Spirit to speak into her life. She wasn't going to hear anything from me. That was pretty clear. I feel bad for her keyboard. The other person who was the owner of the site, <laughs> the page... <coughs> Abel, you're going to love this one, um, said that because God was omnipotent and all-powerful, he should do, God should do what he would have done and just make it so that, never, no, uh, that no one could ever do any harm to anybody else. No one could ever do anything bad, and then, and then God should just let people make up their choices on how they were going to live. Then he told me to stop reading a book written by illiterate people. <laughs> did, did, did you hear me? Did you hear Stop reading book, a book written by illiterate people. This was a guy who owned a site about reasonable views and intellectually, you know, higher end intellectual views on life, spirituality, education. Don't read books written by illiterate people. He's right about that. You shouldn't. I remember online there was this billboard. It was somewhere out west, and it said, illiterate, call for help. I'm not kidding. Look it up. It's a real billboard. Someone <laughs> thought this was a great idea. This will help illiterate people. But the illiterate people are writing by going, you know what? If you're littering, you should call them for help. <laughs> anyway, moving right along. Neither of them could see the contradiction in their own views. And both of them tried to argue that they were better than Christians because of the views they had. And because of the views that Christians had, they were bad. Do you see how that's a worldview issue? You're bad because of what you believe. I'm good because of what I believe. They were wrong on both accounts. I'm not good because of what I believe. I'm good because of what he has done. Just because Christ has saved me does not make me automatically a good person. It means that I know how to find out how to become a good person. Proverbs 2, 4, and 5 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, unless you also be like him. But it also says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. We may want to just ignore people who have the wrong views, but we can't. We are biblically mandated to stand up for the truth and answer the fool, not on their terms. They wanted to goad me into a fight. 
to start throwing, the, throwing my facts out so they could throw their facts back at me. That doesn't do anything. When I'm doing that, I'm answering the fool according to their folly. I'm on their terms playing their game. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to switch the tables, and I'm going to bring them over to my playing field, and we're going to fight on my rules. And my rules are really simple. Here's why your argument doesn't make any sense. What do you think about it? How dare you bring logic into this conversation? Here's where your argument is inconsistent. Why is it inconsistent? Do you see, I'm not trying to force my views on them. I'm trying to get them to understand that they don't understand what they think they understand. I'm fighting on my terms, which should be to show them the hope that I have with gentleness and respect, with kindness. I'm still working on that. Because honestly, sometimes people just tick you off and you just kind of want to get Dr. Lyle said, uh, said once, you shouldn't say things like that to people, but you should think it. He actually did say that, by the way. I want to leave you with this question because <clears throat> I know I'm running a little long and I don't want to, I got, I got a whole nother I'm a preacher. There's always a little more that can be said. And I'll leave you with this question. Do you know what you believe and why? Do you know what your worldview is? Do you have an understanding of faith? Do you have an understanding of sin and righteousness and repentance? Do you understand the rock on which your faith is built? Do you know your worldview? Or are you just going with the flow? That's secularism with a religious bent. That's religious faith. You want to have faith in a practice, hoping God will be okay with it. That's sinking sand, folks. But if we stand on the truth of God's word, which means we have to know the truth of God's word, that's the solid rock. And that's what needs to be endured. We can stand up under the weight of what God calls truth because he will give us the strength to do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is actually the correct application of that verse, which means when things get really bad, I can deal with it because God will strengthen me. I can endure it because he will enable it. And I'm going to endure it, not so that he will accept me, because he already has. Mm -hmm.